0: Join me for a reading from the Old Testament. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Proverbs 15, verses 31 through 33. The ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Proverbs 19, verses 20 and 21. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good evening. My name is Tom Carpenter. I serve as one of the elders uh, here at Grace Town, and I have the privilege of continuing our series on Proverbs and looking at wisdom tonight. Uh, so will you pray with me as we open God's Word? Lord Jesus, we thank you for dwelling with us tonight in our worship. And God, I pray that the song of our hearts would be the song of that offertory, Lord, more of you that we would give over our lives to you every day, Lord. I pray tonight as we uh, look into your word into the Proverbs, God, would you illuminate it in our hearts. And God, I pray you would edit my own words, Lord, in line with your will and your purpose and your word. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. So I have, uh, I don't know about you, I've been really blessed by this series on Proverbs uh, this summer. I think, one, it's always great just to kind of be in a book of the Bible and to be able to dwell in it week after week, but especially around wisdom, um, to look at wisdom, the source of wisdom, how we are to use wisdom and the way that God instructs us with wisdom through the Proverbs. And tonight, my sermon title is Confronted by Wisdom. And I want to talk a little bit about our role as believers in the church and specifically in this body at Grace Downtown when it comes to applying wisdom to one another. And another word for that is confrontation. And as I said that, several of you shifted around in your seats. You, uh, you loosened your collar maybe a little bit. You felt a little hot. It's already a little hot, so this is a hot sermon. Um And you you got a little uncomfortable thinking about confrontation. And this is not without merit. For most of us, the word confrontation conjures up dread and uh, sweaty palms. And we can come up all of a sudden with a million things that we have to do before we would need to do that. And all of us have oftentimes been uh, the receivers of or maybe the givers of confrontation that hasn't gone so well or it's been negative. And so we have this reaction to it where we're like, no, not me, not not today, Uh, not with this person. It's not my role. And it's interesting as well because I feel like uh, it's kind of a thing in our culture right now as well, right? Like there's this people love when people get called out on Twitter, like, oh man, my kids, they talk about dropping truth bombs. That's a That's a thing, apparently, in terms of uh, confronting somebody. And that's always also been kind of a part of the American story, right? Like this, we love people who tell it like it is, or we're not afraid to kind of speak our mind. Uh, And so, again, we have this reinforced notion of confrontation as largely a negative thing. And yet, the Scriptures point to our role as believers in one another's lives when it comes to imparting wisdom and sharpening and encouraging one another in a very positive way, in a way that God designs for us to be together in a body with one another. And that confrontation is actually the sign of a healthy church and healthy believers. And so we want to look tonight a little bit at what is the biblical definition of confrontation? What is our role in it uh, to one another And how do we kind of define it and and slice it and dice it? But I thought it might be helpful to start with maybe a few negative examples just so we have some good contrast here. Raise your hand if you have somebody in your life that is kind of like a truth teller. Good or bad, but they are somebody who is not afraid to kind of like, they're going to say what's on their mind, right? Okay. Two of you are very sheepish. Everybody raise their hand, but just a little bit. Um, So I have some truth tellers in my life who all happen to live with me. And um, they're all like under five feet tall. And, but they know how to speak truth. And, you know, sometimes it's truth, sometimes it's opinion, but they speak it. And so over the years, as they've gotten older, I've recorded a few of these truth bombs uh, that have been delivered in our house. So I thought I'd offer a few of them to you uh, just as an example, as a contrast maybe to biblical, biblical confrontation. <laughs> so I, uh, I get ready, I'm walking out the door, and one of my common questions to my kids is, how does this outfit look? Does this work today? And uh, a couple of years ago, one of, my child said, one of my children said, hey, Dad, are you going colorblind? <laughs> we had another, one of our daughters, who shall remain nameless, um, She got a little tired of Leah and I using pet names for one another. She had heard too much of it. She'd had it up to here. She pulled me aside and said, Dad, why do you insist on calling Mom all these nicknames? She's a woman. She deserves to be called by her real name. And she doesn't need her husband acting like she's a child. My last one... I was getting dressed, it's a common theme in our house, um, and uh, I was getting dressed for work, ready to go, and this child said, hey, Dad, are you going to start doing your workouts again, or at least going to the gym? I said, I'm, I'm not sure, why? Well, I've just noticed some fatness on you, and I think <laughs> you should do some workouts, So I offer these to you, um, again, as a bit of a bar. While there is truth and some wisdom in these sentiments, they don't quite meet the biblical standard <laughs> for confrontation. So we're going to talk through that tonight. So if you're a structured note-taker person, here are my three points tonight so that hopefully you can follow along. Although I reserve the right to have several subpoints and sub subpoints <laughs> along the way. Um, What is biblical confrontation and why is it good for us? How are we to confront well and offer, offer wisdom lovingly? And how are we to be a receiver of wisdom and confrontation together? So what is biblical confrontation? How might we define it? I'm going to offer you two definitions and we'll kind of break these down. One is pursuing a believer who has gone astray. One who is, has left the flock, left the fold, left the body of Christ in an area of their life. Another def- definition I saw this week when I was researching for the sermon said having a face-to-face encounter with someone in order to bring biblical truth to bear on an area of concern. Proverbs 3, 5-7, through 7, which was read, tells us to trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. We're called as believers to truly live into our identity as Christ. We're new creations. The old is gone and the new has come. We're called to leave our old life and move along. We're called to not lean on our own wisdom or our own understanding, but rather the Lord's. We're to present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. But God knows us. He knows that that calling to us is a challenge. That our hearts, this side of heaven, are a mix of our new life. We are truly new creations, and yet we carry around the old man, the old woman, the old sin nature in our body. And so those are at war with one another. And so we are often prone to go astray. We're prone to wander from the one that we love. And so God, in his infinite wisdom and mercy, calls us to one another. We're not alone We're not just silos to God, but we are a community. We're a body together. And so we're called one another to each other, and in that, confrontation. And the Bible is full of different elements and confirmations and instructions on confrontation. But one of the chief texts around this is Matthew 18. So if you have your Bibles or your phone, you can turn there, Matthew 18, 15 through 17. And this is Jesus talking to the disciples And really not only confirming the role of confrontation, but giving an amazing how-to. In fact, I wish that there were a lot more elements in Scripture where Jesus said, here's your four steps. Here's how to do it. And this is what Jesus gives us in confrontation. Verse 15 says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So again, Jesus confirms, here's your role. This is how you are to do it. And he walks through a process. It always begins one-on-one. And that's where we get nervous, Right? That feels like, I don't want to have a hard conversation. I'm not the right person to do this. And yet we are called first to go directly, believer to believer. And then if we get pushed back, we're to grab one or two other people. And this is beautiful in God's design because it not only confirms in a way the confrontation. You have to bring to other fellow believers and say, here's what I brought. So you get that unified vision together. But also, you get the power of witness. The power of multiple people in the body that now say, yeah, this person has gone astray. They are stiff arming us, they're stiff arming the gospel. And then to bring it to the church, the other element, the third element. And this is a process, if if you don't know, that our church practices. In this element of Scripture, the process of bringing it to the church would be bringing it to the elders, bringing it to the session. And we practice. Church discipline and admonition in this way, in this body. And then fourthly, if they still reject all of those confrontations and, and admonitions, that you are to release them. And this is important to understand that this is not a releasing as in you're gone forever, you're done, we're done with you, but rather that they may be turned to repentance, that they may return to fellowship I've got to tell you, I've gotten the privilege of being a part of seeing a brother sent out, sent away in his sin and then coming back in repentance and being welcomed by the body of Christ and seeing applause surround this brother and seeing him weep. And it is so beautiful. And I'll tell you what, the world doesn't have anything like that. That's only what the church gets. And so we're called to follow this process even if it's hard because it's for our good and because we need one another in that way. It's also important to think about confrontation in terms of what is this supposed to look like? Like, are we supposed to be drilling each other on a daily basis, right? Or is there some kind of special class? Like, how do we determine, like, okay, this meets the the determining factor? And so I want to look again at the Matthew 18 passage. And I think it's important to look ahead of Jesus giving the disciples this very clear process. In verses 12 to 14, Jesus offers the disciples a parable about the lost sheep. And he says in that passage, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray... Does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That is our nature. You and I are sinners. We struggle every single day. And so there's a difference here in the scriptures that we see between one who is struggling every day, the nature of, you know, I'm aware of my sin. I'm repenting of my sin. Hopefully I've brought others into it with me. But it's a struggle. But I'm, I'm, I'm striving towards Christ. That is our, our nature of being fallen short versus going astray. I've left. I've rejected the gospel. I've rejected the word. I've, I've walked away. I no longer look like the rest of the flock in this way. And I think it's important to see that's the dividing line, in a sense, of how we're to think about struggling. Pastor and author Ray Ortland also has a helpful guide. He talks about the difference between covering and confronting with the gospel. And it's important to think about that's the whole point the gospel. That the gospel would be pressed into our lives, that we would be reminded of our identity in Christ. Ray Orland talks about covering the gospel and determining if that's what this is, if that's what the situation needs. In other words, if you're walking with a person and they are struggling over their sin every day, they're asking God for help, they're repenting, they're aware. What that person needs is a reminder of who they are in Christ. That person needs to be reminded that Christ died for your sins. You're a new creation. You have Christ's righteousness. We comfort them and we cover them with the gospel. But confrontation is where we also remind them of the gospel. You're a new creation. You're called to live into your identity. And in this area, you aren't. And this is really hard, right? Like it doesn't, it's not easy But it is so good. Romans 12.6 says, The Lord disciplines the one he loves. And confrontation is the same way. I was reading an article the other day, and it was just talking about the level of loneliness in the world, and especially in big cities. And the stats were crazy, and it it broke it all down by age ranges. And it was talking about uh, millennials being kind of the most lonely per capita as they look at this historically. And like 25% of them said, I don't even have acquaintances in my life. not Much less friends. I don't even have many acquaintances. And we have the ability in the church to be loved so deeply in this way by each other. And we need to take that up. God designed us as a body. We're not individuals like the world seeks to be. First Corinthians 12:26 through27 said, "If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually you are members of it." John 15:4 through5, "Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me." I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. This is also for the protection of our body. Galatians five seven nine 9 says, You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Again, this is a sign of a healthy church. If in this body we allow those that go to go astray to continue in their way it will surely spread and the enemy would love nothing more than this church to be weak when it comes to loving one another and i'll tell you as well we need the full process as an elder uh, i have the privilege and the the heavy weight of um, upholding kind of the church's end when it comes to church discipline and admonition. And if you note the process that Jesus lays out, it starts with an individual and then it goes to a few people and then it comes to the church. And sometimes what we find is that the first two steps don't get done. And so things bubble up to the church's leadership and what's left is Oftentimes, we lack the relationship that some of you might have with that individual. We lack the full context. And so we're left to come in with a confrontation, with an admonition of the word, but without kind of the ability to fully wrap our arms around that person and love them well. And so I just want to encourage you, church. We need you, the elders need you, to do your part of this role as well. And all of us need this. I mean, I was thinking, I was talking about this sermon with some friends of mine over the weekend. And we were talking about how much, deep down, all of us long to be known this way. We all long desperately to be known in a way that somebody is willing to be bold enough to love us well and to speak in. And so I want to encourage you to do the same. But how do we do it? How do we... How do we confront, how do we offer wisdom, how do we press in the gospel? Proverbs 27, 5 through 6, better is an open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This passage in Proverbs contrasts a friend who is willing to be bold and speak up and risk the discomfort of the relationship versus an enemy who is profuse with their kisses, profuse with the cheering on of the embrace of sin. Do we want to be a friend or do we want to be an enemy? Tim Keller, I put this quote in your bulletin. You can read it as well. He says, love without truth is sentimentality. It supports and affirms us, but keeps us in denial about our flaws. Truth without love is harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we cannot really hear it. God's saving love in Christ, however, is marked by both radical truthfulness about who we are and yet also radical, unconditional commitment to us. The merciful commitment strengthens us to see the truth about ourselves and repent. The conviction and repentance moves us to cling to and rest in God's mercy and grace. Keller wrote that in The Meaning of Marriage but I thought it was so poignant for our body. We know that marriage ultimately represents Christ in the church. And so that same notion of being married to one another, that it's not one or the other. It's not truth without love that comes across harsh. That's what the world loves. That's where Twitter loves when somebody gets called out, right? There's rarely love accompanying that. And in the same way, love without truth, as though there could be such a thing, as though you could just love love the person in doing whatever they choose. And that's oftentimes what we see, the contrast between the church and the rest of our culture. A desire to say, whatever's true for you, whatever makes you happy, that's what you should pursue. And yet Christ calls us to more. The example of love and truth is perfectly embodied in the Scriptures as well. And the Bible really is the source of our wisdom when it comes to confrontation. 2 Timothy three sixteen through 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, and that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So it's not our opinion. It's biblical wisdom. And I'm going to go through real quick. Paul Tripp has a book called War of Words. It's really good. I encourage you to pick it up. And it just talks about the value of our communication in church and how much words matter. And some of you may be sitting tonight listening and maybe somebody who's been really hurt by words in church or really hurt in confrontation that wasn't biblical and so I think this is valuable. His, his acronym here is ENCOURAGE. So we'll go through a few of these just as helpful tips. The E from ENCOURAGE, examine your heart. What is your heart motivation? Are you coming out of anger or out of a desire for retribution or out of bitterness? Or are you coming out of love? Love for your fellow brother or sister, love for the gospel, love for the church. And it's owning our own confession, removing the plank from our eye before we go after the speck in our brother or sister's eye. And we should know as well as we think about this, the enemy is going to come after you. And here's what the enemy wants to say to you. You're going to confront somebody? You? Who, who are you to confront And yet, Scripture is so clear that this is our role, that we are to love one another, not because we're perfect, but because we actually need the gospel as well, just as much. The N, and encourage, note your calling. It's not your view, not your opinion, but the gospel. It's Christ-centered. It's Bible-centered wisdom. The C, check your attitude. Are you speaking with kindness and gentleness? Are you exuding Humility and patience and forgiveness, forbearance and compassion and love. Are you coming with harshness? Are you coming as though you're the judge? The O, own our own faults. The humble recognition of our own sin, our own desperate need for the gospel. You, that we use our words wisely. I would encourage you, brothers and sisters, if you are considering... Um, bringing wisdom to a fellow brother or sister that you prepare for it. That you not come off the cuff, but that you prepare for your words and that you pray over them. The R, reflect on Scripture. We should enter moments of confrontation with a very specific understanding of Scripture and a various topic. There are gray areas and there are matters of opinion and matters of debate. And so we want to come with true biblical understanding. And I would encourage you all as well, reach out to the elders and pastors. Um, we would love to walk with you through this. A, always be prepared to listen. Any confrontation between believers should be interactive. You should seek to ask questions, to understand. Where is this person? Are they astray? Are they stiff-arming? Or are they, have they gone astray, but they are desperate to come back? So, we want to know where that person is. G, grant time for a response. Despite our desire to see immediate change, we know our own hearts. And we know that we are called to this, but we're not called to expect an immediate response. And so, be encouraged that the Holy Spirit will have time to work if we are obedient to this call. And then, E, encourage the person with the gospel. Remind them of the awesome grace of God in their life. Remind them of the deep desire for the Father to see the Son return who's been away. And the deep desire for that person to return to fellowship and community. I'm going to round home with how how do we receive wisdom? How do we be a people and a church and an individual that doesn't make it so difficult to confront when we need to? Because that's the other piece of the puzzle. Proverbs fifteen thirty one through thirty three says, "The ear that listens to life giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Whoever ignores instruction despises himself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence. The fear of the Lord is instruction and in wisdom, and humility comes before honor." Proverbs nineteen twenty through twenty one. Listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Many are the plans in the, mind of, the man, mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Are you a person whose life is open to this body? Are you a believer whose life is open to other believers? you live in such a way that you welcome in love and faithfulness and friendship brothers and sisters to speak in? Or are you somebody who's hidden away, who's pulled off to the side, whose life is largely hidden or only released in snippets to people? Because God calls us to be a people that understand our identity and our creation in community. Are you a person who's willing to receive the blessing of wisdom in your life from other brothers and sisters? Are you humble in the way that you understand how hard it is? For somebody to come and bring wisdom or to have a hard conversation? Are you welcoming to that? Are you thankful for the love that you're receiving through the body? And this is easier said than done, right? All of us, whenever we're confronted, our immediate reaction is to be defensive, to defend ourselves. But we can practice this, we can prepare together as a congregation to be thankful and to be humble. And the last part is, are you looking to confront yourself? Oh, I'm glad you brought this up. I've got a few things I'd like to say to you as well. Are you taking the opportunity to receive and to listen? We've had the opportunity this summer to walk through the Proverbs and understand wisdom. And many of the Proverbs are, we see this constant instruction. And yet we have the opportunity as this local body, this local congregation, to stand out with the gospel to the city around us. As a people who know one another and love one another deeply. deeply. The rest of our city is desperate for that type of fellowship. And we have the opportunity to live into the gospel and to take up our role to impress wisdom and the gospel into each other's lives. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us. God, we um, are uncomfortable when it comes to uh, speaking into one another's lives. But God, we know that that's the way you've designed this body. That's the way you've designed us in community. And God, we so desperately need it. Lord, and we need you and we're thankful for your gospel. We're thankful for the way that we're all on an even playing field. And so we can all speak with the same grace having received the same measure from you. Lord, go before us, strengthen us as a congregation and as a local body, and give us words of wisdom in the Scriptures to challenge and sharpen one another with. We ask these things in your name. Amen.